Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm glad to be here with you this morning on, a, um, on what is a really special day because the World Cup is finally over. Anyone glad about that part? No, no one's glad about that part except me. I like to keep my football American. <laughs> what did I so We've got a brother in the back. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, so um, we're in transition. We're in transition as a church right now. We're in construction as a church right now. And, uh, and things are moving forward and things are building, aren't they? Transitions are always multi-layered. They're somewhat difficult uh, because what transitions do is they put a lot of things that you had banked on as normal ways of life, they kind of put them up in the air and they cause you to sort of ask a lot of questions and to begin to try to work through some things. And the biggest looming question during transition, the question behind all the other questions is, is it going to be okay? Is everything going to work out? I remember in uh, 2010, whenever we, no, not 2000, yeah, 2010, we moved across the country to North Carolina. One of the things that we had to do in moving was we had to put a deposit down on a house and rent a house sight unseen. So mind you that, right, that always works out. There are no questions in a woman's heart during that, during that period of time. <clears throat> so we had to put a deposit down on this house, sight unseen. Now we see some pictures on the internet. We found it on a website. And so uh, I had some friends, some colleagues who were going to be our colleagues. We didn't even know them. Um, as we're moving to North Carolina, I said, can you go and look at this place for me and let me know what you think? So they did that. They sent us some pictures and I was talking to a guy on the phone. His name was Brian. He said, you know, uh, this is pretty close to Duke University where you'll be working. It's pretty good price. I think it's a pretty good house. I think if you got a rent, you should do it. So we said, okay. And so we wired our deposit and we went through that whole process. Whenever we moved out there, uh, my father and I moved our stuff before my wife could come. And whenever I walked into the house and I saw it for the first time, Oh, snap. So above the fireplace are wires and these ancient fixtures that are just sort of hanging out of the wall, and they have black lights in them. The house looks like a 1960s drug den with thick red velvet curtains just everywhere. And so I'm walking through the house, and my my dad's walking behind me, and he says, this floor ain't very level. And I'm like, man, that's the least of our problems. Crystal's about to see this. <clears throat> and, so, and so I was really sort of holding my breath. And whenever my, my wife walked in the house and she walked around, she saw everything that I'd seen. I knew it was going to be okay whenever she said, I can work with this. I can work with this. Because in transition, you can't have everything settled. But if you have a few major things settled everything's okay, right? So our church is in the middle of a pastoral transition right now. If you're here for the first week or first week or two, uh, you, you, here's, here's the condensed update. Our founding pastors who have been with us for about 10 years are today in Austin speaking where they will likely be confirmed afterwards at their new place of service. 
And so this next week, we have a young couple coming, well, young couple, they're 30-something like I am. That's young. <laughs> they, um, they'll be coming in to speak, and then at the conclusion of the service, the membership will vote on them. This is a couple that's been vetted by uh, the two boards, one of which I'm a part. We spent time with them. We've interviewed them a couple of times, and we feel, we feel great about them. I'll tell you this, I love this couple so much, we do, that before they became potential pastors here at at Grace Hill, before they became candidates for this church, we had actually talked with them about joining them and planting a church in Waxahachie, which is where we live. And so for what that means, all I'm saying is that people have been working hard on behalf of the church. This church is loved. The Lord is in this. And today, what I want to talk about are what, a few, what are a few things that we do know about the future of Grace Hill? There's some things up in the air. Some things are up for change. But what are some things that we absolutely know that we can bank on? Not because we know the future, but because we know the Father. Not because we have all of what's coming figured out, but because we know the character and goodness of God who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. If God's going to give us Jesus, I think God's going to give Grace Hill good things, don't you? So let's pray and let's walk through what some of those good things are. Lord, we love you so much. We love you so much. And even more importantly, you love us so much. This church was your idea. We pray your blessings on Michael and Tamara as they're walking in the steps of obedience in their life, Lord. We're thankful for the years we had with them. But Lord, just like we look outside and we see that Grace Hill is still under construction, you are still building this church. We are in transition. We are at no kind of end. You have good things ahead. Lord, today as we reflect on your character and we reflect on your word, We're just going to remember some things that we can bank on about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you have your outlines, and if you want to, in there, I just want to give you a few few thoughts. I typically like to preach from one passage where we pull things out. Today, we're just going to hit on some themes, just some boom, boom. These things are true about God. These things are true about his church, okay? And so the first thing I want to hit on this morning is this. Number one, God's plan for his people extends beyond any particular person. God's plan for his people extends beyond any particular person. A few weeks ago, we were having some conversations about transition here at Grace Hill, and one of, one of our men in the church said, it is just really hard to imagine the church without Michael and Tamara. Because as founding pastors, we know that before Grace Hill was a reality for any of us and we are together, we met each other even because of the obedience of this couple. Because God worked through Michael and Tamara what he spoke in their hearts years ago. And so because of that, and because if you came to Grace Hill at any point, and at some point you all have because you're here. But at some point, whether or not you stuck around and became part of the family was probably somewhat involved on what you thought of this couple that's so enthusiastic and seems to love the church so much. But what we have to know is that whenever God spoke Grace Hill into the hearts of Michael and Tamara, he had already looked beyond them for what's coming next for us. Do you believe that? I'll tell you this, if we believe that God is at a loss Oh Lord, what am I going to do with this church in East Dallas now? Michael and Tamara are leaving, oh no. 
if we believe that God is at a loss because of that, we don't know him very well. We're, we're not trusting him very much. And what we can see is that even in much bigger transitions in scripture, no matter how important the leaders were, no matter how high a character they had, no matter how many wonderful things they had done, the Lord always looks beyond any particular man or woman or man and woman for what he's going to do. So if you look in the book of, um, well, if you look in lots of books in the Old Testament, you see a guy by the name of Moses doing some things. And so in the book of Exodus, we have, this, we have this preliminary echo of what Jesus is going to do in this world on the cross in delivering us from our sins. We see Jesus speaking to Moses and working through Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And so the Lord begins to work with this man in some particular moments and speak through him about what is possible. And you know, without being a Bible scholar even, some of the deeds of Moses. This is the man the Lord used to call this nation out, to bring down plagues. Hey, here are the Ten Commandments, part the Red Sea. Moses did a few important things, didn't he? And Moses had a pretty big vision, didn't he? to bring God's people out of slavery, to help them be an example of his work in the world and to take them into the promised land. But did Moses get to take them into the promised land? No, because of some different reasons that we won't dig out today, Moses actually didn't get to see the fulfillment of his original vision. Moses' life ended and the people of God still had purpose from God. And so what we see in Joshua chapter one, the Bible just opens this book with God's words to Joshua. And he says something that Joshua just needed to hear, probably that everybody needed to hear. He reminded them of a very blunt fact. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua's probably thinking, I know, that's why we're all freaking out right now. (laughs) Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, remember, his purpose extends beyond any person. Now, you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. Now, what was this? This was the promised land. This was the original vision that God had spoken to Moses. And God was saying, Moses, love Moses. He was something, wasn't he? He was obedient. Scripture says there was never someone else like Moses in all of Israel. Moses did so many good things, but God says to him, you know something? He's with me now. He's in the next chapter of his life that will not really end. Now you and all the people get ready, Joshua, to cross over because my plan stops with no man. People are too precious for me to stop now. My power is too great for me to be thrown into a tizzy because... Moses is gone. So when God called Moses, he already saw through Moses to Joshua. When God called Michael and Tamara to do this, he had already seen years beyond them. He knows what's going to, he knows what Grace Hill is going to be like in the year 2027, 2057, however he plans to tarry. And however long Grace Hill will be working and and being fruitful in East Dallas, God has a plan for it. The leadership that will be in place, he sees it. He's not stumped. One of my favorite pictures uh, of the sovereignty of God, one of my funnest ways to think about it, is to look at it in terms of a parade. 
Some of you might have heard this illustration used before. So if, if you've ever been to a parade and you've had the joy of standing next to a bunch of mouth breathers and it's hot and you're crowded and your kids are saying, Daddy, I can't see. And so they're on your shoulders and your neck is hurting and they want some of the candy and you're trying to keep them from getting stepped on by everybody else's awful children. Parades are the best. Small town parades are really the best. Every December, we have a small town parade right through downtown Waxahachie by the courthouse. Small town parades, you've got a combination of you got like legit floats that are really beautiful, and then you'll have some dude just rolling through on a camouflage four-wheeler smoking a cigarette. It's like, <laughs> what is your theme? My theme is hunting. It's just for no apparent, so parades, and one of the things about a parade is you're limited in your perspective, and you see what's coming, and you see what's going, but you're limited in so far as you can only see what you can see. Sometimes you don't know how long it's going to last. Sometimes you don't know if what's coming next is going to be exciting or another camouflage four-wheeler. You can only see what you can see. But if you could get an aerial view, if I could take my kids up in a big hovercraft where they're sitting in chairs and not on my shoulders, having precious moments at the parade, and you could go up and you look down and you can see the beginning of the parade and you can see the end of the parade. You can see the whole procession. You can see the whole path. In other words, you know how everything's going to work out. God is like that with all of time. He's like that with all of human history. He sees where it's all going to start. He sees where it's all going to end. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And what I'm saying is that whenever God spoke to Michael and Tamara to plant Grace Hill, he saw far beyond their days here. And he sees for us what's coming next. Can I take that from the church as a whole and just drill it down to your personal life? It's the same for you. He sees where you are. He knows your days. He knows when they begin. He knows when they're going to end. He knows who you'll have for a long time. He knows who you'll have for a short time. He knows. You were his idea. He's in control. So we don't know a lot about the future, but we can bank on that, right? You can bank on that. So that's number one. Number two is this. God's calling for a church is the responsibility of the congregation as well as the pastors. God's call on Grace Hill is the responsibility of all of us, not just the person who preaches to us. Amen? So next week, whenever, um, whenever Ryan and Lauren are here, uh, you're going to have this thing that I, I'm, I'm involved and I serve in our our church fellowship's leadership, and I serve the primary leaders of that. And so I am involved with guys who oversee hundreds and hundreds of churches, and I can even say that this aspect is just a little weird. And the aspect is this, that Ryan and Lauren will come here, and Ryan will preach a message, and you guys will meet them, and you will ask questions. And, and then at the conclusion of next week's service, the membership, the members of the church, will vote on this couple. Do we believe that this is who the Lord has for us? It's the oddest thing that you're voting on a pastor, but you're just getting to know one aspect of him, the, the sermon, the preacher. 
And what I would never want any of us to be confused about is turning church into a come and watch thing. Are they talented enough? Do they tickle my ears? Is it going to be exciting enough if I come every week to listen to them? What I'm reminding us all of this morning is that the calling of the church doesn't just rest on a pastor. It rests on the people of the church, all of us. And so in Second Peter, First Peter actually, you see um, Jesus's, Jesus's disciple, Peter, years down the road now, and he's writing to the church about all the things that church is. And he's expanding the view of the average church member, and he's saying there's more to you than you know. And he says this in First Peter chapter 2, coming to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, remember Jesus was rejected by men, went to the cross, but valuable to God, He says this, say this with me, you yourselves, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a lot of spiritual metaphor and terminology. There's a lot here, but what he just did is he took three things that were delegated to a specific place and specific people in Old Testament times before Christ, things that were totally given to the pros. And Peter is saying, you yourselves are involved in spiritual versions of this stuff. So one, he refers to the temple. The temple in the Old Testament, Old Testament Jerusalem, was a physical structure where the dwelling presence of God was. To be close to God was to be close to this building. And so Peter is saying now, because of what Jesus done and because he sent his Holy Spirit into all of us, we collectively are making up that we are the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit is in us and where we are as individuals and as a church, the Holy Spirit is as well. And so Peter's saying, you are all like living stones being put in to this grand structure for God's redeeming of the world. You guys, yourselves, you're kind of a temple. And then he goes on and he doesn't just refer to the priesthood as select individuals who are doing specific things because they're pros, they're trained, they're them. He says, you are yourselves a holy priesthood. You are part of God's interaction with the rest of the world. God is using you to do this, to offer spiritual sacrifices, not so much animals for the, for the, um, for the redemption of sins, But he's saying the spiritual sacrifices are anything we do out of love for God and love for others. That's praise and worship. That's acts of service for one another. Anything we do and offer. And so all I'm saying to you this morning is that Peter seems to have a much bigger idea of the church than to come and listen to the new appointed preacher, doesn't he? He's saying we are the thing. We are the church. So the pastor plays such an important part. The pastor helps determine so much, but we are all called to the mission of Grace Hill. You guys know this. I don't know if you know this, but we have a president who's in his first year of running the country. Some people like it and some people don't. And also, I don't know if you know this, things are intense right now, but that also tends to be the way it always is when a new president is elected. And so in 1961, this young cat by the name of John F. Kennedy was elected president of the United States. 
And no matter what party you're in, I know that you know the most famous line from his inaugural speech. And I know that no matter what candidate throughout history was smart enough to say it, it would have, been, it would have stirred all of our hearts. You remember what he said, right? I have a picture of, of the quote here. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And the way he delivered the line, ask not what your country can do for you. I mean, he brought it in that moment. Ask what you can do for your country. And when I was, I was reading an article about this yesterday, I was just going back and reading some of the, the context of that quote. And you know what, he, what some different people said? There were different people who said, man, I was in my dorm room watching the speech. And when he said that, I changed my major. Man, this is where I was when I heard that and I was never the same. And it took a whole country from, well, what's this guy going to do for us? And it took them to thinking, okay, I don't just have a vote. I have a responsibility. My job is to do more than critique. It's to contribute. And so vote on a pastor, absolutely. Hopefully we're just affirming the obvious will of God. But we have a part to play, don't we? We sure do. Number three, Pastors are important, but the only person a church can be built on is Christ. The only person a church can be built on is Jesus. I've never been completely comfortable when I drive through big cities and see churches advertised and there's like a 90-foot headshot of a pastor. It's always made me feel a little weird. And I know what actually we're trying to do. We're just trying to, and I say we because we are Christians. What we're trying to do is, is put a face on the church, personalize it. Because let's be honest, almost every painting ever done of Jesus just seems kind of off. So what do you advertise? What do you, I don't know. But I do know this. I know when our, when our expectations on a person get too extreme. And when we turn into sort of an American Idol version and we bring that into the church... And we imply that if you can just come here from the man of God, if you can just come here from this particular woman, all your problems will go away. I know when our expectations get too extreme. The only person we can build on is, is Jesus. So scripture says, for it's contained in scripture, look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. The one who banks everything on him will never be put to shame. Tenuous times, what's it going to be like going forward? How's it going to work out? I think it's all going to be great, but I do know this. It's going to be great because we're banking on Jesus. This idea of a cornerstone, it was literally a stone in the corner of the building where the two walls would meet and the structure would be sound in so much as it was resting on something incredibly solid and strong. That is the purpose of a church. What is dependent on a personality will die when that personality leaves. If it's built on a pastor, it'll die with the pastor. Which of us doesn't want Grace Hill to live beyond Michael and Tamara? Of course, we all do. And I love that they've done such a good job over the years of pointing us to Jesus. I was, uh, Michael and I were at the same conference sort of the weekend that all of this kind of came together and we're sitting in the, in the back of the room at a wall and um, he looks at me and he goes, man, 
I think we're going to Austin. I looked at him and I said, I know. He said, you do? I said, yeah. Darn it. And um, he's tearful. You know, he's crying and we're sitting there. And I said something to him that I think we should all embrace, not because I said it, because it's true. I said, man, you came into a place where people told you it wasn't smart to plan a church because it'd be hard to get it to go. And you did it. Grace Hill's going to be okay. It's going to live because you built this thing on Jesus and not on your personality. Grace Hill's going to be great. But it's going to be great, not based on who the next men and women are who are leading the whole thing, but because those men and women will be faithful to Jesus and so will we. So will we. So that's what we know about Grace Hill's next chapter. What do we know about Grace Hill's next pastors? No, I'm not going to tell you what this couple looks like. That's not the point. What we know about Grace Hill's next pastors is this. Number one, they will have been entrusted by God. As much as Michael and Tamara were appointed to this church, our next pastors will have been appointed to this church by God. They will be just as called. They will be called to work just as hard. They will be just as accountable to God. And Hebrews actually tells us this, talks about this. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable to you. They'll have been appointed by God. There's so much here. The idea of obeying and submitting to anyone just rubs any American wrong. Any red-blooded American, I will obey and submit to no man and the captain of my own soul, the master of my fate. How many of you know the church is different? The the church is not a political organization. It's not a school. It's not a a business. it's, It's sort of different. And there's such high standards that the Bible puts on leaders to be totally submitted to God, to be accountable for every, every spare word, you know, so much of those sorts of things. And so we see this in light of sort of what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, that as leaders are fully devoted, what God is saying here is that I have entrusted them with leadership. You can trust who I have entrusted. That's what's being... I just went out. I'm going up. Okay, we'll get a new one working here in a second. Entrusted. Boom. Your powers are many and beyond my understanding. (laughs) Thank you, sir. So, I want to say something that's going to seem weird. There's... um, there's a guy that most of us have heard of. His name is John Maxwell, written a lot of books, spoken in a lot of places. And uh, John Maxwell, he's known now for a lot of what he sort of does in the business world. But he started, his first couple of decades were just church ministry. And so he came out of seminary as a young kid and took a church in Hillingham, Indiana, this little country church. And he said, I was all excited to lead this church. God had called me to this church. And he said, boy, and in my first board meeting, I found out I was not the leader of that church. He said there was an older gentleman, a board member, and I don't remember his his name, but um, he said it was really clear that if he kicked the tires on an idea, those tires were falling off. 
If he said something, it was going to go. And so what happened was this man who the Lord had used mightily to help lead this church over the years, he loved the former pastor. He did not love this new pastor. And he wasn't going to let this new pastor lead the church. And so one of the things that he did was he just sort of made it his mission to make everything hard on him. And I'll tell you this is working and helping with oversight of, you know, hundreds of churches and being part of churches in transition that I'm going to say this, not because I can ever imagine our church being this way, but enough churches have been this way that it's got to be said. Okay. I will say this, that in transition, sometimes people that God has used to build a church and minister to a church on a volunteer, on a staff level, on every level for years upon years upon years, the same people that God has used in a mighty way, Satan will get hold of and use to drag down the same church that they've loved up to that point. We become defensive. We become fearful. And if we're not careful, we can do what this board member was doing in the church, systematically going around and undoing everything that the pastor said. That can happen. It's not going to happen here. But it can happen. And it happens enough that it's at least got to be said that we've got to love Grace Hill more than we love ourselves. We've got to love God's will more than we love ourselves. We've got to love what he wants for this church more than we love anything else about this church. That has to be the case. So John Maxwell asked for a meeting with this older man, and he handled it, I think, the only way a young pastor could ever have handled something like this. They got together, and he said, okay, I know you love your other pastor, and I know you don't love me. Tell me what you love so much about him. And so John Maxwell said for about 20 minutes, this man went on and on. Oh, well, let me tell you, Pastor so-and-so, he did this, he did this, and we did this. And this one time, Pastor so-and-so did this, and this. And then you wouldn't believe this, but this is what Pastor did. So John Maxwell could see why that pastor meant so much to this man. And this was so smart what he did. He said, listen, I'm not asking you not to love your, your former pastor. That was a man of God. You did many things for him. He did many things for you. Love him with everything you have and love him forever. All I'm asking is that if you have any love at all left over, can you give that to me? John Maxwell said the guy started bawling. This older gentleman began bawling because he knew the game he had been playing. He knew what he had been doing. John Maxwell actually said for years they had a strong partnership and served together. And up until that man, that old gentleman passed away, every Sunday he would come up and hug his younger pastor and he would say, Pastor, this is the love I have left over. Isn't that cool? We will never stop loving Michael and Tamara. We will never stop having an allegiance and loyalty to them. But if we have any love left over, and we do, We have to give that to who comes next because the Lord will have entrusted them. And so we know this. Let's wrap up. Grace Hill's next pastors are going to need our prayers, our love, our help. We don't just need pastors. These pastors will need us. They'll need you. They'll need me. They'll need need us. Now we ask you, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 5, give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
regard them very highly in love because of their work, because God has appointed them here, and be at peace among yourselves. There are memories that we share with Pastor Michael and Tamara that are going to be building blocks for us moving forward. The years we've had here, we're going to build upon. And I think, as I said earlier, just like physically this thing is under construction and it's moving to new places, spiritually we are all under construction and God is moving us to a new place. So we know about Grace Hill, God's moving us forward. We know about the pastors, well, there's a lot we don't know, but we know how Scripture tells us to treat pastors, what we can expect, what we shouldn't expect. And then lastly, what do we know about God? We know that God couldn't be more invested in our church than he is. In the book of Acts, instructions are being given to some elders of a church And what I want you to focus on here is how it says the church was purchased. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He couldn't be any more invested in this church. He couldn't be any more invested in you as an individual. We all know that whenever you're haggling on something, you're trying to get something for the best price possible. What seems worth it to some seems like highway robbery to others, right? Look, I bought this whatever for $100. Are you serious? You spent $100 on that. Whenever it came to you and me, all of these people in the world that collectively make up the church of God... God didn't haggle. He sent his son and we were purchased with his own blood. God couldn't be any more invested. He loves us. Lord, we love you so much. You are, as we sang this morning, a good and loving king. We're grateful for you. Lord, we're grateful for our church. We're grateful for each other. You have made a collection of individuals, a family, a family that's going to keep growing. Lord, we thank you for the years we've had. We thank you for the years ahead. We ask your guidance as we move into these weeks, as we appoint new ministers. And Lord, I pray that you would help us open our hearts Give the love that is left over, which is a whole lot, that we would give it just as freely and lovingly as you've given your love to us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.